What is up, Calvary? Good to see you. Glad that you are here with us today. Glad for all of you that are joining with us online as well. We are in a series called Undercover Boss. Say that with me. Ready? Undercover Boss. I don't know what is the undercover boss in your life, but what we're finding out is that a lot of times what is in us can be what is in control over us. What is in us can build up and sometimes come out of us. And of course, the premise of the TV series Undercover Boss is that the CEO, the owner, goes in disguise and goes down into the middle of the shop, the restaurant, the warehouse, goes to see where things are made, goes to the distribution center, sees what's happening on the inside of the company because they know whatever's going on down there is ultimately going to come out to the surface and be part of the identity of that company. And a lot of times they find so much good and they find these awesome people that they reward handsomely. But sometimes they find somebody and actually they wind up having to deal with it right then. And what we know, what we know is that there are things that are on the inside of us and often it's our emotion. It's our emotion. And we've got to be in control of it. Because if we are not in control of our emotions, our emotions are in control of us. And Jesus said as much. In that first week, we looked at a passage from Jesus as he was talking to the Pharisees, first of all. And he talked to them about the fact that what is on the inside will eventually come out. He was talking to them about the way that they speak and, and that the way we speak comes from the heart. And oftentimes, the things that are in the heart, he said, defile them. And that was a spiritual term, which meant separate them from God and separate them from other people. And sometimes the things that we can say definitely separate us from God and can separate us from relationships here on this earth. What we say, what we do, those actions come from within the heart. He told the Pharisees, then he called the crowd together and he said the same thing to them. Then a little later, his disciples were letting him know, hey, uh, you know, I think you might have upset the Pharisees. And Jesus basically said, don't worry about it. Don't have anything to do with them. Instead, be concerned about your own heart and your own life. Because what is inside of us, if we're not careful, will control us. And how do we gain control over these things? So that's what we've been talking about here, and, and we've, we've discussed, the, we've discussed the, ang the anger approach, the emotion of anger, and, and how if we just let that kind of build up, if we don't take control over our anger, our anger will take control of us. And anger can ruin relationships that you have here on this earth, that God meant for you to have as a blessing, as part of his favor. Anger can lessen our relationship with God. It can separate us from him. That's why Paul says, look, you cannot let the sun go down on your anger. You, you can't let your anger take control of you. You've got to control it, and you've got to do it every day. Our words and our deeds reflect the condition of our heart. I didn't mean to say that. I didn't mean to do that. I'm not sure where that came from. You ever say that? Well, now you know. <laughs> it came from our heart. Came from our heart. And we dare not allow those forces within us that kind of lurk, that sometimes disguise themselves. In fact, if, if you've known Jesus for a long time, you can disguise it as some kind of a Christianese thing. Well, I'm doing this in Christian love. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> you just want to pray. No, you want to gossip. What's going on on the inside? How do we gain control over it? Well, <clears throat> today we're going to deal with something that we don't often talk about and we don't often look at it as sin. And part of the reason we don't look at it as sin is because we don't even use the word. But before I get there, 
I want to start with a foundation that will be for everyone. It is for all of you that are listening here on our campus. It is all of you who will be listening online, are listening online, live right now. This is for everyone. And I want you to make sure that you listen and you hear this with your ears, hear this with your heart. Because no matter what season of life you are in, this is for you. Maybe you've had to face some obstacles, some challenges, some difficulties this past year, maybe the past 10 years. Maybe your past is charred because you kind of have a scorched earth mentality wherever you go. And you've burned some bridges and you've burned some relationships. And it's followed you. Maybe you're in a place in your life where you feel some of the decisions you made previously keep you from what God has for you. Or you think somehow, I don't deserve the blessing of God. And therefore, you are hesitant. Even though you come here, you're, you're hesitant to really believe he has something bigger, better for you. Maybe for some of you, you kind of feel like life has passed you by a little too quickly. And you are past that stage of your life where God could really use you, where God has something special, unique for you. This scripture is for you. Listen to this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. For you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Jeremiah chapter 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Psalm 33, 11 says, But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 says, For no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Somebody here needed that couple of minutes of scripture. Because can I remind you of something? If you are a follower of Jesus, you are the chosen Peter, chosen people that Peter was talking about. You are a high priest. You are a royal nation. You are God's very own possession. And you can share the goodness of God because of the grace that God has shown to you to call you out of darkness and into his light. You are the ones that he has a plan for. You are the ones that that plan calls to prosper and not to harm, to give you a future and a hope. You, not the person next to you, not the person behind you, not the person in front of you. You are the one that God has a plan for. You are the one that God says, my plans will stand firm through all generations. And that means that no matter what season of life you feel you are in, or that maybe too much of life has passed you by for God's best to be in front of you, his plans prosper. His plans are fulfilled through every generation and every season of life. No eye has seen, that includes your eyes, no ear has heard. That includes your ears. You can't even begin to imagine what God has in store for those who love him. That's you. You are God's handiwork. You were created in Christ Jesus. And you were created to do the good works which God prepared long before you were a gleam in your mom and dad's eye. He prepared those works just for you. That's who you are. That's who you are.
How awesome are these verses of Scripture that paint a picture for us of all of us. They paint a picture for all of us of all of us. Those verses are talking to you, about you. God has a purpose for you and for your life. And when you fulfill your purpose, your purpose fulfills you. Can I say that again? When you fulfill your purpose, your purpose fulfills you. And God has a purpose for your life. I'm going to try it one more time because I'm starting to think I'm speaking to the 6.30 a.m. service because you're all just kind of staring blankly back at me like, really? God, the almighty creator, the king of kings and the Lord of lords has a purpose for your life. Thank you. Now we can get back to our regularly scheduled programming. Purpose is important purpose is valuable but we can get distracted can't we from fulfilling that purpose you see your purpose in this world you were created for God and for his glory and you can live out your life to his glory, so that the glory of God, so that the goodness of God can be seen in your life. You are a reflection of God. You are God's child if you've put your faith and trust in his son, and he has a purpose for you. But we can get distracted, and that keeps us from fulfilling our purpose, and then that keeps our purpose from fulfilling us. And when we allow these emotions to seep in, when we allow that small leak just to happen and it begins as just a trickle, but it builds up over time, and then all of a sudden, bam! Where did that come from? It came from our heart because we were not controlling the emotions that we were putting in, whether it's our anger or our disappointment or our guilt or our... We're going to talk about this today. Ready? Envy. Envy. When's the last time you heard a message on envy? But you want to know something without putting a name to it? A lot of times we live in a world of envy. And what happens is we can be envious of a lot of things. We can definitely be envious of someone. That's oftentimes what happens. We find ourselves envious of some other person. We can be envious, catch this now, we can be envious of some other time. Some season. You got to be careful that the older you get, you don't start living in the boy in the good old days. Listen. The good old days weren't that good. And, and we can often live in a season of what was rather than in the moments that God's given to us now. And we can also live envious of some thing. How many of you are on, on Instagram? Let me see your hands. Let me try this again. This is God's house. How many of you are on Instagram? Let me see your hands. Oh, there we go. Look at that. More people. <clears throat> How many? Okay, now you're starting to scare me a little. How many of you know what Instagram is? Let me see your hands. Okay, very good. I'm just making sure we're living in the 21st century here. Um, yeah, Instagram. Am I sassy? I'm not trying to be. All right, I'm being sassy, my wife says. So we got to bring it, bring it down a little bit. We'll, we'll, we'll hold it back. Just I'm, I'm being sassy. So, um, but I'm, I'm just... Checking, you know, Instagram or Insta, as, you know, those of us who really are in on it know. Um, we call it Insta. No, I don't, I don't know what they call it. The gram. How about that? Um, IG. There we go. Instagram. Love Instagram. 
okay? I, I'm on Instagram. Instagram's good for so many things. I mean, about what's going on a half a world away. You can stay up to date on some of your favorite people, your sports heroes, all that kind of thing, kind of follow their life. There's a lot of great preachers and speakers that are on Instagram, and I listen to what they have to say and all that kind of thing. Um, but I've also found that Instagram, it can be detrimental, okay? Because like on Instagram, I realize I need more shoes, Every time I'm on Instagram, I don't know what, I think I must have bought a pair of shoes how they picked up on it. And now it's like every time I'm on Instagram, I'm like, oh man, I need those shoes. I need more shoes. And who, who doesn't want that bag? Now I've already got a briefcase. In fact, my wife would say, you've got more than one, but I don't have a brown one. I don't have one like that, man alive. So sometimes we can get envious, can't we, of things that we don't have. It's, it's, a, it's a sometime, a someplace, a someone, or a something. And while social media is awesome for so many good reasons, it can also push us into living in the land of comparison, and can I tell you something? There is no win in comparison. There is no win in comparison. There'll always be somebody that has more. And if we're not careful, we can look at it and be like, man, alive. Didn't I graduate with it? Man, they're looking good. And then we like, you know, crop our photo and edit, right? I mean, we've got all these things now. I think I can take 10 years off by editing this photo. I got to one-up what they're doing. I got to one-up where they're going. I got to one-up what their kids are. And we wind up living in the land of comparison. There's no win. Kind of a no-holds-barred King Solomon says it like this in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30. Envy rots the bones. Envy rots the bones. A number of years ago, our oldest, Whitney, was in middle school, and it was time for the science fair. Remember those days? Some of you are still living in them, right? Where you got to put together a project, okay? And Whitney, of course, being the overachiever, it's like, Okay, I am not doing a volcano where lava comes out because everybody does that. So what are we going to do? So Whitney came up with this brilliant idea. I want to see the difference that liquids make bones. So it's like, all right, well, where are we going to get the bones? Well, the best place for us was Kentucky Fried Chicken. So we went and had some chicken and took all the meat off. And then mom cleaned the bones. And then Whitney got all these different beverages, okay? So at some point, you know, you'd have seen the pastor walking in and buying a beer. <laughs> you'd be like, hey, wait. And it, science project, come on. Um, and we put the bones in all these different liquids. And then we left them. And she left them until the day of the project. And then crack open the bones and see the difference that it would make. I will tell you this. Number one, without a doubt, best thing for the bones. Right? And you're like, I've heard that all my life. Milk. I mean, it was by far. It didn't, it was, it was strong, it was clean, it was the best, okay? Worst thing for the bones. Ready? Not the beer. Hate to be the bearer of bad news, don't want to say anything because we're online, but let's just say it was kind of a greenish-yellow color. All right, I'm leaving it there. Um, that was the worst thing for the bones, but you could see the difference that it made having these bones in these different liquids. Solomon says, look, if you live a life of comparison, if you live a life of envy where you are always looking at someone else or something else as the more that you have to have, it's going to rot you to the core. There's no win. There's no win in comparison. No win. Envy leaves us competing with people that don't even know they're in a competition. 
Let me say that to you again. Envy leaves us competing with people that don't even know there's a competition. And here's the deal. If you've got a bit of a competitive streak in you, and a lot of you do, and there's nothing wrong with that, at least I hope there's nothing wrong with that, I'd like to think I still have that. In fact, there are often, there have been times, now I haven't done this as much, but you know, if, if, if we were going someplace and there were two ways to go, you know, if my parents went one way, I'd go the other. Why? Because I want to beat them. Now, they don't even know they're in a race, okay? If my brother goes one way, I go another. Why? I want to win. He doesn't even know we're racing. But there's just something about that competitive. When we see someone, something, somewhere, sometime, and it seems to be, it seems to be, well, it forces us to live in the land of Ur. Have you ever heard that? It, it, it forces us to live in, a, in the land of Ur because theirs is always bigger, better, prettier, smarter. And we kind of we live there. And, and listen, you are never going to compete or compare your way to peace. Because envy, Solomon says, rots you to the core. Rots you to the bones. We get arrogant if we win. We get way too discouraged if we lose. And the problem is, we're not going to stop. I mean, you know, I could just, this could be the message about, you know what, just don't ever get on social media again. It wouldn't matter. You'd still see your neighbors pulling up in the brand new car and be like, oh, got to have it. Here's the deal. It's not a matter of stopping. It's a matter of controlling. Jesus, when he spoke in the New Testament, oftentimes you will read messages that kind of, they pull at you in two different directions. And you're kind of like, well, wait a second, what in the world? And Jesus didn't mind good tension. He didn't mind having a message where the disciples had to ask him later, what were you talking about? What exactly was the meaning? He had no problem with a certain amount of tension because tension can be managed. Listen, envy is not a problem to solve. It's a tension that needs to be managed. And Solomon gives us a roadmap. He provides us a place to go. Mentally, when we start drifting towards envy or discontent, emotionally, he helps us kind of regain our balance. How does he do that? If you've got a Bible, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, if you're online, hit that tab. If you're on our platform, you can go right to the tab that says Bible and you can follow along with us. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And, and Solomon gives us a word picture that's going to help us regain our balance. And it's something important to remember, not just with this emotion, not just with envy, but with all of them. How we can have some control over them. And Solomon had one request that would be granted by God when he was about to become king. God says, I'll give you one thing. And he said, I want wisdom. And God granted him that request. Many of the Proverbs in the Old Testament written by Solomon filled with wisdom. And his wisdom helped him become the dominant ruler king of his day and age. But along the way, he made some bad choices. Now he gets down near, closer to the end of his reign, the end of his life, and he puts together the book of Ecclesiastes. And I want you to notice what he says in chapter 4, verse 4. I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. 
this too is meaningless. A term we might put in there from today would be, this too is ridiculous. And then he paints the word picture. It's chasing after the wind. 3,000 years ago, things were not much different than they are today. Everybody was trying to keep up with the Joneses. And they were determining where they were at based on where everybody else was. And then he painted that powerful word picture. He said, look, if that's the way you're living, you are chasing the wind. Can I ask you something? When does that stop? Never. You never catch the wind. It has no finish line. It has no stopping point. It's endless. There is no landing in a place of peace and contentment when we are always living in the land of Ur. He's bigger, she's prettier, he's smarter, they're better, house is bigger, car is nicer. We're never going to land in that peace and tranquility. The only guarantee is dissatisfaction. Envy steals the joy from our accomplishments because someone else accomplished more. Envy steals the joy from our accomplishments because someone else accomplished more. So when you catch yourself looking at someone else, looking at what they've accomplished, looking at what they've done, and you find yourself drifting over into that lane, you've got to say, nope, 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 nope. Envy is not the boss of me. It's sideways energy. It's energy expelled that's never going to come back and never going to amount to anything. It's a waste of time. We don't want to waste our time. We don't want to waste our purpose chasing the wind. Now, catch this though. On the other hand, and he quickly addresses this, this is not just complacency. This is not then an invitation to inactivity, to just sit around and whatever happens, happens. No, he deals with that because Solomon has accomplished more in his lifetime than anyone else during his lifetime. So this is what he says in the following verse. Verse 5, he says, Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Non-production is not the answer, okay? You can't just kind of fold your arms and say, Well, I'll never be them, so I won't even strive to be the best version of me that I can be. What are we doing? We're taking those first few verses that we just read from Peter and Jeremiah and Psalms, Corinthians and Ephesians, the ones that talk specifically to you and to me about what we are and who we are when we are God's chosen people, we're basically just setting those verses aside. No, nope, that's not for me. I can never be this, so I just won't be. Solomon says, that's foolish. That is Foolish. You ruin yourselves. Here's the deal. Too many people wait for their moment to make the most out of them rather than doing the hard work to make the most out of their moment. <clears throat> Let me say that to you again because some of you are writing it down. Too many people wait for the moment wait for their moment to make the most out of them rather than doing the hard work that's necessary to make the most out of their moment. You have a lane. You have moments that God has given to you. You can make the most of those moments where Solomon says you can just kind of fold your hands. But that's foolish. That's foolish. And he brings the two extremes together with this example in verse 6. He says this, Better one handful of tranquility than two handfuls of toil and chasing after the wind. 
better one handful of tranquility. Now, what do you think of when you think of tranquil? Peace, serene. There is a peace that God wants us to live in. But Solomon says, listen, you can have it all, but you're going to have two handfuls of it rather than one handful, which is enough, and the other open for the peace of God. If we're hanging on to everything with two hands, guess what? I've got no hands to open up for his blessing. He says, better off with just one, living a life in tranquility, in the peace that Jesus said he would offer to us. Better to live with what? Satisfaction and contentment. We assume that more is better, but it, we're constantly chasing, aren't we? Just constantly chasing. So much so that, and, and listen, there is nothing wrong with drive, okay? There is nothing wrong with an entrepreneurial spirit. There is nothing wrong with trying to be the best that you can be. But don't we see it in our world that it just, there's always something that you, you're constantly striving. And, and even if you make it to the top of the heap, what's next? Well, evidently, I think we've seen space. <laughs> I got to build a rocket that'll go up just a few feet higher and a few more seconds longer than yours. <clears throat> we'll always be living, striving for never being satisfied not living in the peace and the satisfaction that Christ gives. And I love when there is a thread from the Old Testament to the New Testament. In the New Testament, Paul, we've talked about him a lot during this series, wrote the book of Philippians from a jail cell. And you know what he wrote? He wrote, I have learned to be content. King James Version, if you've got that, he says, I've learned to be abased and I've learned to abound. You're like, what's that mean? What it means is Paul says, I've been in the Motel 6, and I've been in the Hyatt Regency. And I'm okay with either. Hyatt has better room service, but I'm okay in the Motel 6. He says, I've learned to be content. What happens when we are able to live in that lane of contentment? There is definitely some peace and some tranquility that Solomon talks about that becomes part of our life. But when envy begins to seep in and we are always comparing and competing with someone or something else, we're going to have a hard time because we're just constantly chasing the wind, wanting more. Let me... Uh, and there are so many illustrations that we could use. I'll, I'll give you a dumb one. I realized this week, like, I think it was Thursday morning. I reached up and grabbed a mug to make some coffee, and I realized I had used the same mug every morning for my coffee. I had 40. But I used the same one. You say, well, Billy, are you getting rid of all your mugs? No. No, that's, that's not necessarily what I'm saying. I am saying, though, that it's interesting that amidst all that I have, as far as mugs are related, <laughs> I chose the same one to drink. What's the purpose? Drinking my coffee. And you can only do that, I have found, works best, one mug at a time. And I use the same one. Now, one thing is, I probably need to use more mugs. The second thing is, just for those of you that your mind has gone there, yes, I washed it every day, okay? Because <laughs> I can see some of you are like, oh, that's a pretty dirty mug by the end of the week. No. And, and we've got a collection. I mean, part of it is a collection for us. We do the Starbucks thing. Go. Our kids picked up on that everywhere that they go. And actually, we recruited Jeff and Elaine everywhere they go. They have to buy us a Starbucks mug. Anyway, it's, it's a thing. So we got a lot of those, and that's a bit of a collection. But it's just kind of funny that I never use them. 
what else is like that in my life where I kind of, do you know, this is another thing, I'm just kind of being real and raw with you in my own little world, which is a strange world, I'm sure you're figuring out. I bought more suit jackets in the year of COVID than I probably had in the past five years combined. And I had nowhere to wear them to. I mean, I guess I could get up and wear one downstairs, you know, and my wife would look at me like, what are you doing? Well, we're going to the grocery store today. Figured I'd get dressed up. Now, will I use them? Yes, but it is kind of funny that in a year where I was stuck at home, maybe you did that too. Maybe that's where Instagram got the thought that I would like more shoes. I don't know. But it is funny how easy it is for us to not be content. And I see that in my own life. And I want to live in the peace that Christ offers, but I wonder if sometimes I am sabotaging that peace and that purpose by constantly striving, competing, comparing. <laughs> His point is, less is sometimes more. Less is sometimes more. He, he, he takes it a step further. This is what he says in verse 7. Again, I saw something meaningless. Again, I saw something ridiculous, according to Solomon. Under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. Now, the reason that's important is because in Solomon's day and age, in that culture, he could not leave his estate to a woman. So even if he had a daughter, he couldn't leave that estate. He couldn't leave what he'd accumulated to her in that culture. So Solomon says, he doesn't have a son. He doesn't have a brother. He has no one to leave his estate to. Verse 8, there was no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling? He finally asked the question, for whom am I doing all this? Why am I doing this, he says. What am I trying to prove? And to whom am I trying to prove it? Some of you are competing with your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, your best friend, your classmate, a guy next to you at work. Some of you are competing with them. Some of you are competing for them. You want their approval, and they don't even know it. For whom am I toiling? I've mentioned before, my favorite television series of all time is The West Wing. And it was a show that was on back in the 90s. Like, what, 50 years ago? Uh, back in the 90s, but... They still rerun it, and my daughter bought me the whole series on DVD. There's quite a few nights in a year where I will fall asleep watching an episode of The West Wing. I love watching the show. There's an episode in the season where the president is running again for re-election. And one of his advisors comes, and he has a pretty heart-to-heart -heart with the president. As much of this kind of a discussion, I think, as you would have with the president of the United States little bit of tension, and he says to him, Mr. President, you need to stop trying to win the approval of your father, because it's never going to happen. They've had an episode that showed kind of his background and how his dad was never pleased with whatever he did. And one of his advisors kind of called him out on it, said, your dad is gone Long gone, you're never going to please him, even if he were still here. Are you still trying to win the approval? You got a lane. God's given you a lane to run in. I, I talk all the time about my dad. My dad and I had a great relationship. I love my dad. I miss my dad. But can I tell you something? He leaves a pretty big shadow. I, I have a blog. I was going to say I had a blog. No, it's still out there. 
I just haven't written on it in quite a while, and I realized that I need to get back to that. But I went on it a little while ago and looked at it, and there were some comments. And so I read the comments, all the comments that were made. You want to know what they talk about? My dad. <laughs> None of them say, really enjoyed your writing. Hey, that was really good. Boy, you bring up a good point. No. They talk about my, this one, I have no idea who the guy is. He says, back in the 60s, your dad came to our church. My sister and I had never been to church before. That night, we accepted Christ as our Savior. The next night, we invited my parents, my aunt and uncle. They came. That night, they accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Throughout the week, more people in the family got saved. Over the course of the next few years, he says, every person on either side of our family accepted Christ as their Savior, including all the cousins. One family had eight members. It all started at that little church in the 60s. My wife and I have started a ministry to help wayward, especially at their juncture is wayward girls, girls who have come out of either abusive situations or they have abused drugs, alcohol. He says, up to now, we, we have, they have three farms where they house these. They've had over a thousand ladies go through their program and hear about Christ, many of them coming to know Christ as their Savior. That's awesome, right? But I'm like, I'm never going to get there. <laughs> I'm never going to be able to pull that off. You want to know something? That's okay. That was my dad's lane. I've got my lane. And if I'm constantly looking to try to be better than, I'm going to miss the moments that are in front of me. And for some the relationship that you have with whoever it is that you're trying to prove, not that good a relationship, but you're still trying to, why? You're chasing the wind. Chasing the wind. Don't compete. Don't compare. You'll never be who you were born to be as long as you're looking over your shoulder at everybody else. And if you are a follower of Jesus, what does Hebrews say? Constantly we are to keep our eyes focused on the author and the finisher of our faith, and that is Jesus. Jesus even said, hey, when you put your hand to the plow, don't turn around and look behind you. Don't worry about what everybody else is doing. Don't worry about what's happened behind. Look to what's happening now. Look to the moments that you have Look to my purpose and my plan and the works that I have for you to do. Verse 80 says, why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. He couldn't enjoy what he had, and he didn't know why. That passage we read earlier about what envy does to the bones, there's a first part of it. The first part of it says, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. God has given you a race to run. God has given you a lane to run in. Stay in your lane. It's when we try to get out of our lane that we run into problems, right? Stay in your lane and change somebody's world from there. Look to others for inspiration, not imitation. When you cannot participate, celebrate. And let me just throw two or three quick little practical things at you as it relates to envy, especially if you're taking notes. When I am envious, when you are envious, it keeps us from being thankful for what we are and what we have. When we're envious, it will keep us from being thankful, okay? You need to count your blessings, not your neighbors. When's the last time you did that? When's the last time you actually made a list? Man, I would challenge you to it. Here, here's what I want you to do. 
Write down all the obstacles and all the difficulties. Do that first. Make a list of them. Honestly, for some of you, the list will be substantial. But then, I want you to write down your blessings. And don't skimp out on it, okay? Don't skimp, realize, you know, don't say, well, everybody has a house. Nope. A lot of the world doesn't have a house. Well, everybody's got a car to drive and another one in the garage. Nope. Not everybody does. Everybody's got a closet full of, nope. Well, everybody's got full shelves. No, they don't. Put it all down. Write out your blessings, all of them. And as God brings those to mind and memory, guess what's going to happen? You're going to find that you have a lot more to be thankful for than you do to be challenged by. Count your blessings, not your neighbor's. When I am envious of someone or something, it pushes me to pursue prosperity rather than my purpose. And in fact, I will, I will diss my purpose to pursue prosperity. If there's a competition, purpose loses, prosperity wins. If I live a life where I'm allowing envy to seep in. Don't miss what life has for you. Don't miss what God has for you. You're never going to, you're never going to live a fulfilled life until you decide to fully embrace the life that's in front of you. And when you are tempted to compare, just stop and say, nope, envy, you are not the boss of me. I will not chase the wind. And here's the deal. We finish with this. If you are a follower of Jesus, listen to me, you have a boss, and his name is Jesus. And, and you want to know what he said? Jesus said, here's how they're going to know you are my followers, by the way that you love. You cannot compare and compete and love. You can do one or the other. And, and it's not just a nice thing to try to do. It's a must-do. It is mission critical. And isn't it interesting that Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples by the way that you love. And I don't know about you, but I think there are some who would say, man, it's more difficult to love today than it ever has been. You may not be wrong, but it doesn't change the priority or the prerogative of Jesus, does it? His message doesn't change. He said, I want you to love it's not always going to be easy. And there's no way we're going to if we are comparing and competing. We've got to love. And then let me just, I, I wrap it up with this. If you chase the wind, that's meaningless. Right? No finish line. It's meaningless. But if you do what's meaningless for too long, in the end, your life will lack meaning. If you are constantly chasing the wind, at some point, you're like Solomon, you're going to look at it and be like, there is not a whole lot there. No, because we are missing out on the purpose that God has for us because we are constantly competing and comparing ourselves to someone else. Just give it up. Be who God called you to be. Be the best version. This is not that we are to stop pursuing excellence. No, anything but. You are to be the best version of you that there is because you're the only one that there is. You're the only one that there is. And God has specific things for you, just for you. What an awesome opportunity we have to live in those moments. Let's determine we're not going to chase the wind. Instead, we're going to chase after the purpose that God's given to us. Bow your heads with me. <laughs> Father, thank you 
for meeting with us today. Uh, thank you for the wise words of Solomon. Of course, it's your word that he shares with us. Whether it's Solomon or, or whether it's the Apostle Paul, Lord, they're, they're sharing with us the importance of contentment. One from a palace and one from a prison. Yet they share the importance of living in the lane that you've given to us, being the best that we can be, but not comparing or competing with someone else because you have a purpose for each one of us. Thank you for that. Thank you for giving us that opportunity. And before I close this prayer, maybe you're here today and there's never been the moment when you have invited Christ to come into your life and be your Lord and Savior. That is the first step towards living out His purpose for you. Many of you have made that decision, but maybe you're here today or maybe you're watching with us and you never have. I, I want to give you that opportunity right now. And if that's you, if you want to know that Christ lives in you, that your, your sin, your past is forgiven, your eternity is is with him in his heaven, then I want to just give you a chance simply to pray this prayer after me. You don't need to say it out loud. He'll hear you. But just say, Lord Jesus, I do believe you love me. I do believe you came and died, rose again for me. Come into my heart, forgive my sin, and save me. I make you the Lord of my life. If you prayed that prayer today, we believe that you were born again. And just in the quietness of this moment, if you did pray that prayer, would you just slip up your hand and put it down and say, yeah, that's me, Billy. I prayed that prayer. God bless you. Yep, thank you. God bless you. Maybe you're with us online. That tab came up on your computer or your phone, your tablet. You can hit that button that simply says, today I accepted Christ. We may not know your name, but we'll be praying for you and with you. Father, thank you for these today who have made a decision to follow you. I pray, Lord, you do something for them in a tangible way to help them realize the importance, the significance, and the eternal impact that that decision has for them. Thank you for loving us, for meeting with us. May we not compare or compete, but may we seek to live in your peace is our prayer in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.